Hello and welcome to episode 248 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 25th of July 2018. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Alex Wiltshire. Good evening. <laughs> and Tom Senior. Good evening. <laughs> A good evening to all. <laughs> to everybody. Even you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and especially um, to uh, pod listener uh, Orbital again, whose gin we are still enjoying. Cheers to that. Delicious. Mm, thank you again. Cheers. Thanks for the gin. Alex has got tea. I've but actually got that's fine. Yeah. Me and Tom are enjoying the gym. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So we, um, uh, we recorded last week's uh, birthday episode, uh, pretty early in the week last week on Monday, uh, which meant that we uh, managed to record it, um, before some actual news, uh, actual news happened, uh, which is now old news by the time this goes up. So we can just talk about it, uh, when it was the benefit of many, many weeks of history. Uh, which is that uh, No Man's Sky has been updated with its next update, which, which is, is called... new news. Hmm? Which is like new news now, because that was not last night, according to... Like, but it came out yesterday. Time. Yeah. But it was announced last week. Yeah. 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 We're not on the cutting edge of this, Mark, so we can't <laughs> pretend to be. Um, but we can have medium takes about it now. Uh, but Alex, I know I know you uh, worked for Hello Games for a while, so I appreciate that we maybe should caveat some of these medium takes. I got a relationship with this game. Mm. <laughs> 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 and what is the nature of that relationship? Put it this way: when I played it last night, I felt I felt like a uh, a closure, sense of closure mm. came over me. Finally, felt like it was the game that I was kind of hoping it was going to be when I worked there. Mm. Because you, you haven't worked there for several years now, right? No, I left back in 2015. Mm. So I worked there from 2013, which was, I joined just, just before they started developing it. Mm. And then I left kind of after having helped set up the train, the hype train. <laughs> I thought, better get off the hype train. <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> here I am. <laughs> I remember very fondly, um, my appointment at Gamescom 2014. Oh, yeah, I think it was. 2014 to see No Man's Sky. Yeah. In a, in the, um, the sort of sweaty hinterlands towards the rear of it Gamescom. It was a horrible little, horrible little kind of, there are these, um, meeting rooms you can hire in there. And, uh, and we, we got, we got one at the last minute. And, um, you literally get a very large desk, very it's little huge. floor space. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, and it had like a blank room. It like, felt like you were in a sort of, some sort of cell. Like, mm. and yeah, we invited you into it. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was very welcoming. Enjoyed it very much. I think it was maybe unnervingly welcoming because you were there. Yeah. Yeah. It was a comfortable, sexy feeling. Yeah. It was like bumping into your dad in Sainsbury's. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. Uncomfortable and sexy. Is <laughs> yeah. That Every time, the frozen food section. <laughs> and they're popping out of the frozen peas. It's Sean Murray. <laughs> Just like that. Um, but yes, the game has been updated. I think we've all played it, haven't we? Since the update. Yeah. Yeah, I played it for a couple of hours last night. Yeah. Mm. Just me too. Um, played it for a couple of hours today. So the update is pretty big mm. one. Mm. Um, in that, uh, obviously sort of, uh, the, uh, the, the line on it is that this is the sort of game, um, I think it's it's really hard, and I know I'm not really that interested in getting into the you know PR side of it or the public face of the game. But like the the story here is certainly like here's the game delivering on a bunch of things that people sort of assumed it would do, even though they were never explicitly said. So it's the sort of culmination of things like multiplayer, uh, robust base building, but also like a pretty 
I was pretty surprised by like how top to bottom the changes felt. I like, don't think it feels like there isn't a single part of the game that hasn't had a lot of work on it. Yeah. Like I went back, I, I haven't played it since um, the multiple ways to play went in like survival mode and stuff. Yeah. And mm. I was really surprised by how little I knew about what the fuck was going on. Yeah. Having played 20 odd hours of it or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I haven't played it since the very first iteration of it. Mm. Uh, when the crafting was so wonky and the inventory systems were just horrendous and uh you know you just you couldn't store enough stuff in your pockets to do the things that you needed to do to actually kind of get off planet uh and the whole kind of onboarding process in in the next update is just like night and day compared to the original experience mm. and i still um i got a similar experience from both versions of the game though and i quite enjoyed the first game as a quite solitary lonely being lost in the wilderness type of experience and that's been retained and now it just looks even more beautiful they've done a lot to the graphics to add sort of vo- uh, volumetric lighting or they've, they've done a lot to kind of create a greater sense of space and yeah um terrain distance across terrain and you can see a long 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 way now you really can way that, like, i remember looking out across my ship and i could still see it in the distance and i knew that i was five minute walk away from it yeah so. and uh, there's just little moments like um, <laughs> it's quite silly in the fact that you go through its progression system and it's sort of teaching you how to mine and build things. And, uh, you, it then just, one of the first things it tells you to do is to make a wooden house <laughs> on the planet. Um, which is kind of, I, I've seen people like on Twitter making fun of that, but it was the part I enjoyed the most because right near where I happened to have landed on this planet and everyone's sort of planet is this bespoke discovery. Like yeah. some of the things happen, but it's your home planet, which is really nice. And right by the point where I landed, there was like a huge underground cave. So I've built like a wooden palace in that cave that's completely protected from storms. And uh, I, I get a genuine sense of kind of sanctuary there, which I really, really enjoy about the game. I find it very atmospheric and I've really enjoyed it so far. Yeah. The sound, the sound is massively mm. kind of improved. Like, sort of the way that it changes when you go into a cave. And yeah, like whistling a, disappears. Yeah. yeah, and the kind of the splatching, like your, your footsteps kind of in the, the mud. Splatching of the your splatching face. of feet. The lonely <laughs> splatching of a spaceman <laughs> trying to avoid. That's a very different thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the objective after you've built the shed. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that far from the game yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Look, I remember one of the, one of the big uh, issues before launch was... Um, real worry about the way people would use the ships mm. because the the whole idea you know in that first iteration the the game actually lay in taking long on foot journeys like that was that was the game it was all about it was meant to be a survival game about sort of hap- dealing with happenstances you try to get from one place to another sort of desperate situations that arise and um but you have this ship, and so the first thing you want to do is to fly there instead. Hmm. And so people weren't just getting out, they weren't getting out of the ship, and they weren't taking those longer journeys. And the solution for that was to increase the cost of getting of ship fuel, like of taking off and things. Mm. But then, of course, that feels really frustrating because it, you're suddenly gated from doing the thing that, mm. like... The, you know, the power move of the game, which is taking off, zipping under space and going to a new planet or, or, you know, at will. And so like there was a, like a real sort of tension between these two kind of incredibly like pure ideals, which like just, and I think I, I don't know whether it's because the novelty of 
taking off in your ship has kind of abated a little bit. Like it's still the moment of coming down mm. to a, ship, a planet I feel is still kind of great. But I also took, we, I played uh, last night with a friend and we spent ages on a planet just looking for stuff, getting into scrapes. It's great. Mm. The old, uh, the way ships used to work, they used to have a sort of like minimum height level, which they yeah. had to fly as well, which was incredibly, incredibly awkward. It did behave at all how you'd expect a, sh- no. a ship to behave, especially mm. a ship that looks like a plane. They expect to do yeah. plane things. You know, it, it's not like if it had looked like a Kerbal Space Program big cylinder that has to jet off its orbit and jet down, it would have been different. But the fact that it looked like an aeroplane that you should be able to fly around the planet like an aeroplane uh, created, this, created this really jarring sense that the game just wasn't letting you do the things that you would just basically expect of it. Um, I do feel like all of that has, has changed. It feels like a like a much more sort of, I don't know how to describe it without sounding really mean, <laughs> but it, it just sounds, it feels finished. It feels like a, a yeah. more of a... Uh, a designed experience. I don't, yeah, I think the ship, the ship felt pretty awful for a long time. Like mm-hmm. it felt like it, the, it didn't feel like it was a huge kind of sort of, um, streamlined chunk of metal. It felt, it, it, it didn't have any momentum or mm. a sense of inertia or anything. And now it really has. Like mm. it's got that arcadey kind of inertia, which kind of was really sorely missing now. Mm. I don't think like it feels like, amazing in its own right is a spaceship game necessarily yeah but it's it's a lot better yeah like um i found i found my second start with it a little rough my third start with actually now a little rough again like i always find this with no man's sky that like i i like it quite a lot i liked it when it came out but like with caveats and then um i think i think under underpinning this is like i think something i've discovered is that i'm just not a huge fan of crafting in survival games honestly like there are, I understand the need to add friction to an environment, but I have much, I, in some ways, like creative mode isn't for me because creative isn't what I want. I yeah. want the sort, like, I want, I want exploration with, with friction, but I've sort of discovered that like, find some copper isn't mm. my ideal form of friction yeah. in a game. And that's just, that's personal. But like, because I've sort of tried a bunch of things to try and make it, make me like that. And going back to No Man's Sky, I, I appreciate, I think I did this the, the the last time I returned to it, which is after this mode was added, I started in survival mode because just the way it's described, it sort of starts, you know, normal mode is sort of chilled out as designed mode. And then the creative mode it is, gives me the impression of just fly around and build whatever you like, which is not what I'm looking for. So I went with survival because I was basically, it's like the make me feel something mode, right? Like the sort of like, I want to feel really immersed. So maybe this is the way to do it. But unfortunately that mode is so punishingly difficult and so clearly designed for people who are now so familiar with the systems of normal mode that they need to start that it's, I don't think it's playable if it's your first go. And part of me wonders why you're even offered that option because I can't imagine someone who's not familiar with the basic mechanics of No Man's Sky, which you're not when you start playing. And I wasn't because they've redesigned so much of it. Having a good time because, uh, you know, for example, so I, I, I did it twice. And the reason I did it twice, like as in starting again, not just letting myself die is because it doesn't feel right to die immediately in a survival game, respawn and then learn about what you're supposed to do. That's not the fantasy of survival situation. Like mm. dying is not the core is not core to a survival, right? That goes without saying yeah. like, um, so you spawn normally on a planet, which is like radioactive or freezing cold all of the time and to an extreme degree. And, that means you have to figure out how to um, 
find sodium or whatever for your life for your life support and um sorry hazard protection stuff immediately or you're going to die in a minute yeah and that was what happened to me last night as well and my first um my first one i was i spawned on a planet where it was radioactive i was dying immediately and i was surrounded by aggressive sentinels immediately <laughs> so i was being shot and then i ran jumped jetpacked slightly mischievous how much jetpack fuel i had fell and died like in, like within 30 seconds of starting the game with no time you can't go to the menu to craft anything because that doesn't pause so i was being shot and it's like that it, and then that didn't feel right particularly because you get that lovely well-crafted slow burn intro where it fades from white and your ui comes online <laughs> and like that i've always had this issue with it feels slightly off and like that was just sort of like this sort of beautiful like bong 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 space <laughs> adventure you're gonna get fucking murdered now run dead <laughs> and so then i deleted that save started again because i wanted to see if it was just like a i got unlucky no same thing again and then i finally played it on normal went basically went back and played it on normal still spawns on them in the middle of like an acid rain thunderstorm mm. but just because of the way things are scaled i wasn't surrounded by deadly robots you know and then it, it sort of it sort of worked like straight away but even then like um on the first planet like i found my first alien ruin um but it was hovering like 20 feet in the air and not for space reasons just for like random generation <laughs> done on a bit fucked kind of reasons and so while i am enjoying it i think the improvements are kind of robust across the board it always seems to fight my desire to have a really optimal experience with it where i just sink into it and enjoy every planet because everywhere is like this is just a little bit off and my way around it is now i think first time i played it i decided that i was going to try and like do everything super slowly name every creature kind of really immerse myself in every world and now i've decided just to play a bit faster so my shed is built literally in the back garden of a shop <laughs> like i found it i found a viking shop where there's some people and there's some traders and the ships come down and they trade and i just built a shed in the back garden and like when i put the the base computer down it said like this land is unclaimed i was like well it might actually be claimed but fuck it i put a flag here <laughs> like it's um Squatter's rights. mine now yeah. and i just built a shed there um and then the only word i know in viking is interloper and when i walk in to talk to them they go like <laughs> interloper i was like yep yeah, well i built a shed in your back garden so <laughs> like yeah that is how that works yeah. Yeah, the, the, the sort of bases and the space stations seem a lot more populated than they did. Mm. They, they seem completely skeletal when I first mm. played the game. Um, and it's not quite the sort of hubbub that you'd really want from, it's like, it's very static. Everyone who's in a place will stand there completely still and sort of wave their arms, not actually express, do anything with each other. Um, it's, it's not a great at like giving you the, the fantasy of the spaceport really. Like it's, it feels a little bit, like a facsimile. And then you go up to them and they sort of yammer at you in, uh, in gibberish and you, you pay them to learn one word. Would like you like a hundred sodium? <laughs> yeah. Have some, have some salt, uh, teach you one word. And like of all the ways you're going to learn a language. Because like, the, the, the thing I love about that is it implies that either every alien knows one word of English mm. or they know English, but <laughs> right. they're just dicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They saw you come in. Um, yeah, yeah. Like everybody is there to, to, to sort of perform like the, everything is still very much veiled in kind of sort of mysterious language but every little element is there to perform a specific thing which is show you where like a, 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 a alien artifacts might be or where a space station might be mm. like uh, sort, of, sort of locations of interest or like or words alien words like there's no it's a very kind of um 
practical universe. Yeah. Yeah. It has rules. It has really yeah. defined rules. I think, um, and don't get me wrong. Like I still have had a you know good experience with it. I think what I'm going to do is, um, because, um, I really want to play it multiplayer. I think that's the thing I've been missing. And I feel like that's the thing it's been missing. Uh, I know you guys yeah. have, you, you, Alex. Have yeah. It was really that, that I think that was the, the special thing about it for my session last night was just getting to be there with a friend and, you know, those, when those moments come where like it's a beautiful sunrise or you find a nice place or you've been looking for copper for a while and you find a copper, you know, like seam of copper, like doing that together is just much more meaningful than when you're on your own. Mm. And when the janky stuff happens, I don't know, it's better with a friend, you know, <laughs> like it's, um, and it does feel like you and your friend are in the middle of nowhere. Like, and that's a great feeling actually, like knowing that, you know, and when you see something and you kind of beck them over and kind of look at this, look at this. Like, no, it felt, it felt like playing the game properly afresh actually mm. in a way that, um, I hadn't since I first sort of saw it running really. That's nice. Yeah. There still is a magic to looking up in the sky and seeing yeah. a, a brightly coloured moon and being like, oh, yeah, I can actually just fly out right now and go there and see yeah. what's there. And it's going to be quite different to this place. It's That's quite good at keeping you together. That was, I was going to say, actually, that I was really afraid that, you know, sort of, I don't know if you've, have you played Elite Dangerous? Yeah, quite a lot. So you've played with other people, right? Yeah, sort of. And there's a certain kind of, like... Where have uh, you gone? Yeah, where have you gone <laughs> about? Because yeah. you're crossing hundreds of millions of kilometers, yeah. you know, like spe- at incredible speeds, you know. So therefore, keeping everybody together in that kind of space is quite difficult. And, and this doesn't, like, obviously, um, Nomad Sky doesn't have autopilots and that kind of thing. Um, and surprisingly, we've kept together quite well. Mm. Like, cause I think that maybe it's because you don't spend any time in deep space, certainly not moving. Like, you just sort of, you're either on your way somewhere or, you know, or you're stopped on a planet and you can always see their icon. And, um, so actually, even the, the crossing space to another planet actually felt very, um, uh, uh, communal, which was good actually. Mm. Mm. That's right. Yeah, I think I'm gonna, cause, um, Pip's PC is knackered. I think I'm probably gonna move over to play it on PS4, which, mm. you know, um, so that we can play together. Cause I think that's the thing that will make it yeah. really. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine myself investing a long time in it solo. But that's, I mean, I understand that people really like this kind of survival. I just realized that I sort of, I think my, my feeling was like, oh, I built a shed. And now I can build different kinds of shed. Yeah, I can go in and out <laughs> scale. of the shed. Which is weird because I loved Subnautica. And I'd love to kind of figure out why oh. that really, really worked for me. And this hasn't quite so much. Or I, I think, actually, I think the thing with Subnautica is because it's a fully designed experience and a fully designed world. Uh, obviously, no man's like, and I, don't get me wrong. Like I had that, I had the moment today going from planet A to planet B and coming down through the atmosphere of planet A, uh, planet B and being like, Oh wow. Like just having the no man's sky moment of the clouds parting and mm. seeing a landscape you haven't seen before. And you know, a herd of snoot beasts. Inevitably it's snoot beasts. Maybe they've got a little mushroom on their head. Maybe they have anglerfish lanterns. It'll be one of those two things. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, like, uh, I'm going, Oh cool. You know what I mean? Like I remember this, but like Subnautica, which is obviously more limited in scope had a far more substantial sense of like, I really don't know what's going to be around this corner, uh, which I think really got me like subnautical almost functioned as a horror game. I think we talked about at the time, the ocean willies 
Whereas I sort of trust. You, know, you don't want to set up, you don't like No Man's Sky is not about, you don't, you never feel that you should be setting a kind of a permanent home. I know there are poke no. and stuff now that mean you can go back, but you're, you're an itinerant in this, this game. But I suppose what I mean as well is like, I don't have any, um, I know what kinds of challenges I'm going to face and that this planet is going to be X amount more radioactive than the last one or something like that. But I really never expect No Man's Sky to truly surprise me, yeah. which I think is possibly just its weakness. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you don't get, I don't know if they ever added them, because I think they were in an early trailer, but like the sandworms or something. You know what I mean? Like, you mm. kind of want to go to the planet where you fundamentally don't understand something really important. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Where a hill just eats you up. You know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah, like, I don't know whether, because, so, so, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler, because I think it's just happened to him, but, friend I was playing with last night played today and he said I've just been given a freighter and I was I thought that freighters are a fairly late game mm. thing there are these I think they've been moved a lot things. earlier in the game but yeah he said that he got into a dogfight with some NPCs and kind of they chased him down to a planet and they kind of had a desperate fight beat them and the and one of the pilots gave him their his um their freighter oh, well. hmm cool and so so yeah, that's surprising moments like that mm, appear to be. I think, I think I like, I specifically want like surprising want, moments in terror. Yeah. yeah like yeah, I, yeah. I want a creature I haven't yeah. fathomed to emerge and eat me. Like not in a weird way. What about a dopey T-Rex? Well, yeah. snooty. So, yeah. Sometimes a big snoot beast will come over a hill and walk about a bit and you'll scan it and it'll be like, that's a big snoot beast. 3000 space money for that. And you go, great. Would you like to rename it? You're like, can't be asked. <laughs> Just give me some points so I can get the advanced mining laser. And then you let go. <laughs> it was a transaction that both I and the Snoop Beast could profit from without ever really fully acknowledging each other. That's, I think that's my thing. Like, I just, I, I want it. Hmm. Make me touch the Snoot Beast. That's what I'm saying, Sean. <laughs> it's a good message. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, like Tom, have you played it multiplayer or did you just? No, not yet. No, I was, um, hobbling around on my own. Uh, it's interesting, No Man's Sky. So when when it first came out, a lot of people were talking about it in the context of procedural generation and the extent to which procedural generation could possibly create the kind of unique experiences we're sort of trying to describe. Mm. And Mm. I wonder like all these years on, they've added many, many more variations to the type of terrain that could be produced. There are now, like entirely mechanical planets you can find that are just made of robot bits mm. um but that criticism perhaps still stands like is is there a point maybe six hours in maybe 10 hours in where you know the curtain sort of like burns and falls away and it all just becomes another sort of meaningless terrain generation thing you know mm. uh, and I, I don't know like to me in the, in the moment after two hours it still feels special but I could see it tipping over. I, I think, think I'm sort of coming at hour two with the experience of someone who's also been to hour 20. Right. And like yeah. a lot is different. Right. But I also like, for some reason, like my, my, I, I like my, I've lost my Snoop Beast innocence. And like, <laughs> I can't see them. It's still, I mean, it's still, it's still No Man's Sky. Like, yeah. And that's a game that, that, yeah, like the procedural generation. I mean, weirdly, like you hear about people who have played it for 300 hours. Hmm. And then give a bad review on Steam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, which I saw earlier on. Those people are everywhere. Yeah. But, um, you know, but these the people put hundreds of hours into it. And for some reason, it's, it's gelled with them. And mm. I, I don't personally quite know what that is. I haven't felt that kind of 
that mm. book myself. I'm quite excited to see how the Galactic Atlas develops, oh, yeah. which is a, a website that shows galaxies. You can zoom in and it shows planets. You can click on them and it'll give you the name of the planet and the person who discovered it and they can leave descriptions and images and stuff like that. It's very, very sort of sterile at the moment because it's obviously been very heavily curated and I wonder if that's how it's going to be going forwards because yeah. no one's, you know... <laughs> the planet all... of a hundred dicks. <laughs> yeah, that, that you don't see that kind of thing. Yeah. Though it seems like one or two of them have stuck through. There's one who describes uh, encountering a giant shark type thing that got stuck in the train and he tried to help it but accidentally ended up getting it. And uh, yeah, you can see that being a very No Man's Sky, like an accurate No Man's Sky mm. uh, anecdote. Uh, but if it, if it does have like a little bit of leeway to give people opportunity to express themselves and i can just yeah. go to that website and click on those little nodes to see people's adventures playing out that's like that feels really really nice i actually enjoyed just clicking through it even if it's current stepford wives existence you'll find yeah you'll find players kind of remains of players stuff as well like mm. maybe maybe like actually in the game it gives mm. you the coordinates to them, so you can, yeah. once you've got the tech and stuff, you could bash it in and potentially visit the place that has yeah. been highlighted on this galaxy map. And that is a really cool shared experience that I can't think of any other game really mm. doing anything like that. And that's taking advantage of that vast procedural generated universe for a good social experience that doesn't yeah. involve yeah. Very cool. Yeah, totally. Like, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it again, and I'm looking forward to, like, share, not sharing a save, but, like, playing it mostly in co-op and sort of, like, having the local experience of basically that saying mm. like, Oh, I've been, a, I've been a system over. I found a cool planet. Mm. Next time you log on, come here. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'll set up a new base or whatever. Like something like that. Um, like I say, it, it's, it's hugely improved. It really is. But I almost, yeah, I think, um, I just, there's a, a really, I, I want to get immersed in it. And I always find that it slightly fights me. And that's it. And I, but to be fair, I find that crafting slightly fights it for me. Cause it's mm. sort of, yeah, there's still a lot of the UI stuff is still a pain in the ass. The, you, there should be a button to skip, flip from first person to third person. Rather than bringing up the, the X menu. <laughs> Tiny mini menu, going up, going right, right, pressing F, going up to a sub menu, then selecting a different view. <laughs> it, it should be a button that you press that flips you out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's loads of dub stuff like it's, that in the UI. It is, it has obviously been designed with a pad in mind. Mm. But, you know, yeah, that, I don't think there are any extra buttons that, that aren't on a pad that are available to PC. No. Mm. Um, yeah, and some of the bindings are a bit weird, like P. Yeah. And like, what's P do? It brings up the like, uh, quest menu slash discovery oh, screen. Okay. And it's really like, often it just doesn't work. So it'll be like, Hey, do you want to name this thing? Press P and I'll press P and it just won't do anything. Like, yeah. Or bring up the generic like page. Or, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or just bring up like, an, you know, the, yeah, the generic P page and, you know, <laughs> no one's getting a generic P page. The terrifying thing is that uh, we've already got a patch. So this went live for PC about like six o'clock yesterday evening, mm. I think, wasn't it? Mm. And they had had a built like a, an experimental patch live, like a sort of this morning. Yeah. Which I is just imagine. horrifying. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like I say, it, you know, I think it's important to remember that it's not a, not the work of a massive team, despite being a massive game. So these kinds of things are ultimately, I think, forgivable. Like they're not, you know, ground, mm. not deal breaking issues. But there's sort of, I feel like everybody, everybody is somehow chasing like the platonic ideal of the game and whether or not that's something that you were imagining when it was first announced and got angry about or if it's... I, I kind of, I do like that it's sort of, despite a lot of things being added that look very much like they are kind of bowing to kind of public sort of demand, like mm. 
you know, like the multiplayer, it still feels very kind of opinionated game. Like it's still, you know, yes, I am yeah. doing my thing, you know, which is, you know, like I agree. I, I kind of have the same issues as you, Chris, but you know, with, with crafting and, you know, and the same fears about sort of whether it'll still feel fresh and magic, you know, a few hours in, but, um, but I also like that it's steadfastly sort of doing that, you know. Yeah. There's a very strong sense of style. That's mm. something I appreciate about it. Mm. From the music to the color palette to the, yeah. like, yeah, just, nice. yeah, it's nice. And actually, I think third person really suits it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I played it in third person. Yeah. Like, and not, not switched. Yeah. Like, I think that creates a sense of sort of, it enhances that sense of personality somehow. Like, like I'm a, a little bobbly spaceman. Yeah, you're sort of physicalized in the world. Mm. Yeah, whereas previously, like, because it's actually, it was always quite good at making you feel physically there, like, whether that's your, mm. le- you know, the, your space helmet fogging up or anything like that. But now, with a little bit of character customization and with just that sort of physicality, I think it's really, yeah, feels nice. It doesn't really look like any other space game you could name either. No. Like, no. So colorful mm. and kind of interesting. There's kind of no no other way this game gets made than a small team of people yeah. trying to do something crazy. Like no big publisher is going to try and make this thing. Yeah, it's, and I think of the of the sort of I don't know whether we'll call it like the this this has been a decade of like super ambitious space games, right? Mm. And not all of them will be out by the end of this decade. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and like of them, it is sort of fascinating case in its own right because it feels, you know, um, obviously Elite is resolutely doing its own thing, um, but it feels very sort of idiosyncratic and now complete in a way that I don't think it originally did. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like now I feel like you know, I- I'm a little bit fussy about it because I kind of get frustrated with what I perceive as the sort of limitations of its, or in some ways the limitations of procedural generation, like it's sort of, sort of procedural generation, but so granular that it's. Almost hard to tell the difference, which is a weird thing to say. Um, and those sorts of things. But actually, like, it is very successful at kind of just spinning up a new pretty thing for you to look at. I think the environments are much more in naturalistic. Mm. Like, you have planes now, like, more yeah, sort of maybe flat I just... areas. Like, it's not, I think, when it launched, the environments were hyper dramatic. Like it's sort of hundreds of trees, like yeah. sheer cliff edges. You know, like as if they want to kind of. You like mesas? Is yeah. a planet just mesas? Yeah, it's just Thank mesas, you. and you will see them, but it's such a density that you couldn't avoid knowing that this is a masery planet. You know? Yeah. Whereas you know, there's a. It feels like you could go exploring and find something oh, surprising in this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and there is something sort of evocative about those worlds as well because they seem sort of like they have personality by virtue of slightly subtler features rather than that aggressive like almost sonic ice level tier of theming right yeah, yeah, yeah. i think having like visible stratospheric effects like just cloud yeah clouds, and stuff, clouds is really great yeah and that that's, that immediately just like instinctively clues you in that there's an atmosphere and it sort of has a texture if the clouds are a certain color or a certain density and yeah that's just a really small thing but it's something that has a big impact on how a planet and a place feels yeah like my, the place i'm currently am is a, a tropical planet full of like sunken lakes that are sort of done in pits in the ground like an inverted mesa if you will like a kind of <laughs> sheer-sided pit. anti-mesas yeah um with a with a with a lake at the bottom and it's very peaceful and full of life and beautiful and temperate and you know 
habitable. And then, like, as I was trying to build my shed in that guy's back garden, suddenly it's like, boiling hot tropical storm detected. I'm like, oh, shit. And that sort of gave it a little bit of bite, you know. I'm like, oh, okay, this is an alien world. And I'm, a bit, I'm not, I'm a bit cool on the monsters that inhabit it because it's, you know, imagine, imagine, if you will, just a freaky wombat. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but, like, um, but, yeah, it still had that sense of, like, oh, this is a place. I'm in a place. And I'll be a little bit sad to leave. But then I'll forget about it. Yeah. And I'll be on the next place. Mm. That's good. And also rings. Plants with rings. Yeah. Look amazing. Yeah. Like, fucking hell, look at that. Yeah. It's got rings. Yeah. That's a feeling I've had twice today. <laughs> all in all, good. <laughs> <laughs> Two years of yeah. drama lined up. Yeah. In, you know, it's quite good. Yeah. It's quite, quite good. <laughs> Probably seven out of ten. <laughs> All told. Uh, we should talk about what we've other people have been playing. Yeah. Alex, I understand that you've been digging deep into gaming's past. Games past, yeah. Yeah. Um uh so this is kind of it wasn't spurred by this, but um I enjoyed um Tom's article the other day about uh, Warhammer. Because, um, if you want me to make about... up some Warhammer games that don't exist, so I can do <laughs> 50 a day for money. <laughs> he mentioned, he reminded me of, um, of Relic's, uh, Space Marine game, mm. third person kind of action game, a resolutely kind of perfect seven out of 10 game, which was, bang on, you know, it? very like <laughs> it's Gears of War, but with everything note perfect, you know, like it still looks really good today. But the reason I wanted to play it is that I wanted my son to play it. My son is 13 and he's massively into, uh, 40k. Um, not so much playing actually, like as in the war game, uh, more about just the world and the just painting figures and things. Mm. So he's been obsessing over his, uh, war band of orcs that he's been steadily painting over the past few weeks and, and, uh, he's kind of, gained skills and it's been really nice i should also say that he's um he's autistic and not in a particularly mega way in a in a gentle kind of sort of just my son kind of way (laughs) and uh and therefore uh he has his own very kind of personal relationships with games and with the worlds particularly that they're in and um one of his favorite things is the idea of giant armies clashing like of of huge great forces kind of running each other and smashing each other in he's a very gentle he's incredibly (laughs) gentle in fact but he loves this fantasy (laughs) and that that's the 40k for him (laughs) and he loves the orcs because they're just this sort of kind of bio kind of flesh kind of wall of green that kind of just arises and kind of smashes over everything but um so i wanted to show him um space marine because kind of it's sort of it's that and you go to punch everything and that's just and he loved it he absolutely loved it um but it's also what drew him a long time ago to starcraft mm. uh he uh has been playing it on his own i would say for a year year and a half maybe two years um and he plays it in very much his own way which is basically to play Terran, uh, to build up an enormous army of Marines <laughs> and then just to steamroller his way through it. Um, I remember, uh, a while ago, I, ins- I, I managed to talk him into, um, playing ag- ag- against each other in a, in a, in a, in a match. 
and uh i knew he what exactly what he would do and kind of you know strategized accordingly and smashed him <laughs> and my my intention there was not to be like competitive dad but actually to uh to try to show him that, <laughs> that he could try something else mm. that to that his massive army of marines maybe wasn't it was what I, my technique was my 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 strategy was basically to get uh i think it was a is it reapers is it the, the flying yeah. one oh, yeah i reaper rushed him that's what i did that's, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty grim it's Alex. pretty grim it's <laughs> not it's not good it's yeah. not good at all and i i basically destroyed his barracks before he could build any any um any, any <laughs> crush his dream <laughs> <laughs> because he you're did, welcome he, son <laughs> But my, my intentions were pure. I wanted him. And he basically was really upset at <laughs> me. The and life he, lesson there is like, you can't rely on massive blobs of Marines <laughs> in life. <laughs> You've got <laughs> a huge blob of Marines isn't going to get you through school. <laughs> but why? Because <laughs> someone out there is going to come at you with a reaper rush and crush it. They're going to kill all your SCVs. <laughs> Go to mid-online. You're going to have no money. How are you going to get the Marines then? I remember his cries. He'd be, Dad, 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 what, what are you doing? Dad. <laughs> and then, and then you'd have crying. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So that was bad. Being um, the Sainsbury's encounter. <laughs> desperately didn't want it. So, uh, so he won't play, he, he, won't, he won't play me in competitive anymore. Oh no. But he will play cop. And I, I hadn't really been keeping that much of an eye on, on, um, on Starcraft and cooperative modes yeah. is something that has been added in the past few years like yeah, i think it came about. in with heart of the swarm yeah oh no i think it might have been legacy of the void actually legacy of the, uh, yes you're right legacy yeah. of the void so I, I yeah that was an, an expansion that i still don't have That's um, good. yeah i should play he's got it he's been played it all. yeah I, I thoroughly recommend playing the epilogue campaign that oh, cool. follows all three of the others because it's nonsense oh good is uh if you uh hate like blizzard writing as much as i hate like blizzard writing um then you can stare at that with fascination <laughs> as they attempt, as they attempt to tie up all of those games in a single Excellent. mission oh, that's yeah. good that's good that's good okay i'm gonna yeah. buy it that's good um, <laughs> that's great. uh so yeah we've been we've been playing uh, co-op missions together hmm. and uh they have been really fun like they they're just just good missions they are basically story missions but for two people and mm. they where you have to there are ones there are ones i remember from the campaign like uh trains that are going through the level and you've got to destroy the trains while building up your, your base you know before enough you know without too many trains getting through um that kind of thing defend the points while the thing's happening like it's it's you know it's basically excuses to sort of plan giving troops to dealing with that, you know, dealing with the mission objectives while also defending your base and negotiating it all with your partner. And like, it's been really good playing that with him, mostly because I've seen, because he's a very, he's very conservative and I've been on and on and on about him, at him. I just sound like a Nazi dad, Nazi dad <laughs> comes along, says, you've got to use your shortcuts. Don't you keep clicking around the screen. 
just use keyboard try to start getting used to I keyboard just, shortcuts. I, I, don't think, I think this is quite sweet you know, these yeah. are the life lessons you desperately need him to understand yeah. now no blobs and uh, yeah um, well, I mean a bio blob is a perfectly legitimate Terran strategy but not it's not the only rush. strategy yeah <laughs> he needs to scout for it first just teach him to send out that scout but he's now he's 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 been quietly that's the thing with him like he throughout his life he's always seems to be behind and you always or, or at least you worry that he's going to be behind mm. everyone else but then quietly he just learns he just does it like quietly you can worry and worry and worry and then you know he won't really listen to you <laughs> well he you know he does but mm. you know you're talking on a wavelength that is just not his interest is just not tallying with the things that are important to him at that point yeah and so He's quietly, he's been playing against other players or, or with other players, mostly almost all co-op, um, uh, and has started using keyboard cut, shortcuts. Mm. He builds, he builds tanks. He loves the siege tank now. No, siege instance. tank is the, the best, best tank. <laughs> the best it's the best tank. thing, yeah. Um, and it, that's been really wonderful. And he's not only been playing Rainer, um, do you, in co-op mode, you pick a character. Mm. Um, uh, and these characters are all very, very different. They have very specific bonuses and, uh, and very specific, um, abilities. Um, and they level up as you use them. So, uh, Rainer is all about infantry. So that immediately spoke to Jack. Um, but there, there's also a Terran character who is all about, um, armor, about um, tanks and stuff, um, vehicles. And obviously there are all the other, uh, uh, races as well. Um, and they all demand a different way of playing them. Um, and you know, as they do in the campaign pretty much, because mm-hmm. there's the, there's the rotty space captain, you know, the, the Zergi mm. one. The Zergi oh, one, yeah, you know, that guy. The, the uh, Russian. Y- Strukov? Yeah, that's his. Stukov. Stukov. Stukov, yeah. Why do I know that? Fuck. And like, <laughs> he's a very, like, he's a very weird character to play. And he and Jack kind of had, was teaching me how to play him. Mm. And that mm. was great. He often gets higher kill counts than me. And like, it's one of those moments that where he's overtaken me <laughs> and like where after a long period of kind of putting him in uncomfortable situations and worrying about him, he's like over- overtaken me. And that's been really fucking lovely. Oh, that's Aww. nice. It's, it's also sort of an Ender's Game scenario, isn't it? Where if, <laughs> if the, the commanders of the future end up using StarCraft straps, you know, yeah. sounds going to be well placed. To, he'll never get Reaper rushed again. <laughs> the far future wars to come <laughs> that's a really nice story oh yeah yeah sometimes you really have to like you know i mean because if you don't do it it'll happen to him on the rank ladder <laughs> and <laughs> you can explain it. why it happens yeah, it's brutal it's brutal yeah ladder. fucking weed lord 420 <laughs> on the battle net ladder is not going to pause to explain <laughs> what what your son did wrong <laughs> You know, it's good that you're there for him. I, I think when, when I was thinking about that, I was just thinking about the arrested development. This is why you don't yell moment. Like the guy's arm falls off. This is why you don't just rely on being able to farm. Yeah. Little kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all learn something. Tom, what have you been up to? Um, I've been playing Doom reboot from 2016 why and, not and why not it's just fucking great 
it's i mean there's hardly anything to say about it really because it's just it is just a really satisfying no nonsense shooter you mean mm. score attacking or kind of getting just go back through the campaign playing. again i've never i didn't actually finish the campaign i got like halfway through it i think and now i'm past where i used to be uh but it just guess why it's satan's all the way down no spoilers it's just it's all it's there's so much like it's the same colour palette throughout the entire game so far, and it's not going to change. It's going to be brown. There's some greeny bits. There's some the sort of bits. metal. Oh, so yeah. the colours are red. Yeah. Metal. Yeah. Um, greeny. Greenish. Fire. Yeah, I've, I've pretty much done all of them. Yeah. Okay. I've seen the entire colour palette of the game. <laughs> Nothing can ever be greenish because, like, they signal everything, like, all the paths through the environments are signalled by bright green lights. Which yeah. Is, uh, well, the many oh, yeah. things I like about the game in that... It's not trying too hard to, you know, trick you to thinking it's a real place mm. or a real world. Like it's, it's conceited at every level. Yeah, this isn't a science facility, <laughs> <laughs> but only in a way that completely serves the fancy of double jumping, uh, shotgunning a demon into the face and then executing it with a sort of like gory yeah. close combat move. I love it. I mean, if I, am I right in remembering that it has some sort of vague overture to like, the plot that is in all things like this, be they movie or video game, which mm. is like, we need to do this for profit reasons. Hell portal. Bomb. Yeah. Yeah. Mike McGordon. Yeah. There's, <laughs> a, there's like a corporation. The CEO is transplanted his brain in, he got, had, he got brain cancer. And so he transplanted his, he replaced his human body with a mechanical body. And it's one of, he's one of the only creatures that's traveled across the border between the human world and the hell world, apart from the doom marine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's got all the transcends space and time. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, doom marine was recovered from a coffin for the deepest depths of hell. That's what I, I, I really struggle <laughs> with the fact that the doom marine looks like a really boring kind of take on like, what if a spaceman? We, we're was covering up all the spacemen mm. this week. Like, and, and yet they also want him to have this kind of eldritch kind of ancient kind of powers <laughs> yeah, sort of yeah. sense where he's from an ancient kind of order of, of like eternal warriors or something. Yeah. Like, or like this, this is sort of like a cycle that must repeat <laughs> yeah. throughout history. And yet it looks yeah. like sort of, uh, well, which is literally true. What some teenagers would scroll, mm. kind of like if they were trying to think of something yeah, edgy. Yeah, like he's got like he's got a space armor on, but he's got bare forearms, so you can see that he's jacked. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't brave enough to give him a little crop top. <laughs> I like how the prophecy always goes the same way, in that like first he shall discover a pistol, then he shall, <laughs> then he shall discover <laughs> a bad shotgun, <laughs> and then he'll discover. A machine gun with a zoom capability that lets but him snipe the thing, from afar. That, that's the thing with that arsenal. Like mm. it still has. It's like yeah. It's still every weapon you still love. It's like it, you don't have those stratified tiers. Yeah, it where, is. It's, it's like you know, even the charge. Someone, everybody knows your name, right? Yeah, like yeah. you reunite with all of the guns. Yes, like if they yes. ever do a proper Quake reboot, like if they ever do mm. for Doom. If they ever do for Quake what they did for Doom, then do for do for do for do for Doom. Do for Doom. Do for Doom. Uh, then, you know, reuniting with the nail gun from Quake would be like, mm, you know. My old friend. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, what have you been up to? I haven't seen you in years. You look good. Mate, and then you, you, should go back, with the nail you should go back to Quake because there has been some fucking great Quake maps. I know there's been great Quake lately. maps, but you know what I mean? No, like, released late recently. Hmm. I, I know, but like, I want, I want, awesome I want it shit. to look. Like, I want Mick Gordon to, like, come in my house and go, like... Put it Trent on in Reznor the background, for God's sake. You've got no excuses. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, literally, like, these maps have 
really good sure and it still feels great and and like it like with all the latest patchy whatnots like it right yeah, like it patchy perfect yeah. on your mm. screen all right yeah you've you convinced me but still you know what i'm saying right like yeah. i want them to the weapons are absolutely absolutely great in this yeah. game uh i've just picked up the, the gorse rifle and that thing just pops demons yeah. from um, like across the other side of a map. If you see them, they're dead. That's it. And it, it, it just gives you increasingly powerful nonsense. Have you got the BFG yet? Uh, I don't know the BFG yet. Oh, that's such a good moment. All of the... Because um... they know what that means as well. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. like the level's called fucking like BFG Lab or nice, something. And they, nice. they do have a name for it. I can't remember what it's called. Like there's another explanation for the acronym other than big fucking gun. Hmm. I can't remember what it is. Yeah. It's like biofusion gun or something like that. Oh, okay, okay. And then, yeah. Oh, man. That's and they're so sense. careful. And this is not really a spoiler because it's fucking doomed. Of course, yeah. But they're so careful to give it to you in a moment and then be like, oh, you're falling a big box of monsters. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What's that? It's distant Mick Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. And then in the last act, the Doom Marine did discover... The BFG. Oh, not in the last act. <laughs> it goes away after that. It goes oh, a long really? way after that. Oh, okay. you've got yeah, it. It's, it's, actually. it's quite a long game. Have you done the Cyber Demon boss yet? Uh, no, no. Oh, mate. Maybe I'm just hardly into it. You're not even halfway through. I've, I've played it for like 10 hours. Yeah, it, it goes. It, it keeps going. Wow, yeah. I'm, I'm just having It keeps it up, I think, as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you you look so delighted. Yeah, I'm just, just thrilled that you said that. <laughs> all, um, all the guns have, um, like upgrade like what are two upgrade yeah versions and you can uh if you find enough sort of special items you can access all of them if you want to uh but i just unlocked one for the minigun that is absolutely <laughs> insane is it, it like the sniper one no uh, so, oh i like that that's like a rifle there's oh, the, yeah, there's sorry, the yeah. more one. rifle the sniper rifles uh the there's basically like the Call of Duty gun that you can then get a scope for, and yeah. then you can increase its like you can it via special ammo when you're zoomed. And that is amazing. Like just it's the white, and it's also super powerful when you're zoomed. But yeah, then yeah, yeah. The, the, there's a chain gun mm. where you basically just you can barely move, but like you're just spitting two barrels worth of that's, bar- bullets yeah. out. That's that's the one I that's what I'm currently just maining for the <laughs> current next level or two because like, there are a couple of uh, options for it and I think it's called like a turret option which is a bit mis- mis- misleading it suggests that you put it down but no what happens is it's a minigun that's really cumbersome and hard to fire and you have to wind up but un- unless in this mode you hold down the right mass button it unfolds into three sort of miniguns <laughs> that individually spin and obliterates anything in front of you f- with and there's no reloading in the game you don't reload in Doom 20 <laughs> it's so weird I keep pressing the yeah I keep on pressing it yeah yeah but uh, all those little changes that just it, it, it so understands it's the fantasy it's trying to create and everything about it realizes that fantasy brilliantly. The movement, it feels amazing. The double jumping, the mantling, just being really, mm. really kind of forgiving and it lets you pull off kind of what you want to pull off. The, the fact that I love the chain uh, I almost said chainsaw. Uh, the, the chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> what are they called again? Yeah, what's that? Um, the, the idea of the chainsaw that, okay, you're low of ammo, low on ammo. All the fun guns, you know, you, oh no, you, you don't get to shoot them anymore. And then lots of shooters would be like, oh, well, tough. You're going to have to like, you know, yeah. go looking. Whereas this is, oh no, you pull out a chainsaw, you eviscerate a demon and ammo pours out of them. almost like a Diablo style explosion yeah. of loot. And you just, you're recharged again. And you just like keep charging forward. I think, I think Diablo is quite an important comparison for it. Not just because mm. it's full mm. of Satans, but because 
you do that, you play it in the same way. Mm. You, you, you approach a room and you're like, which of my toys do I want to use mm. in this room? Yeah, and it's like, sure. oh, this feels like a shotgun room for me. Yeah. 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 And then, and there's obviously the strategy in, in deploying things at the right time and, and, and killing things so you get the health pickups and doing the execution so you get the health, more yeah. health from them yeah. at the right moments and things. That's all good. But like the way it's, it's rhythm pushes you forward and encourages you not to stop. Like you, like in the way that in a, in a, in a RPG like Diablo, you're incentivized to keep going by, like maybe like a scaling damage bonus or the combo moments in, mm. in Diablo where it's like, don't stop and regen health, keep going. Like Doom is the same. It's like, yeah. it's like there's, it's always a better decision to like push it a little bit yeah. and go for the next keep kill going, rather going, than mm. duck behind a box or something like that. Yeah. And it's credit to its armory that when you run out of, when I run out of ammo for a weapon, it will kind of default, it'll automatically swap out for something yeah. else yeah. or you just sort of flick the mouse wheel it'll just hey just a random roulette thing whatever i pull that'll out, that'll do yeah will <laughs> will be fun in some ways it's like oh i forgot i had a rocket launcher yeah. i forgot i got the upgrade that lets me lock on and then fire triple rockets that all i get kind home of around focused corners. on a weapon You're and right, then i run right, out yeah. of thing and then i'll oh this is great i'll, I'll can uh, stay with that with this for a way bit, too yeah. long and then you sort of rediscover yeah. old friends yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're all here and they're all here with you so the end of it's a wonderful life the one thing is Rocket launcher doesn't feel as powerful as it was mm. kind of used to. Like it used yeah. to be kind of, you know, I mean, it, it does blow stuff up, but, mm. you know, and if you think about the rocket launcher against kind of, um, the bar, you know, barons of hell, like it didn't, it took quite a few bullets uh, rockets yeah. to get them down anyway, but it, it had more sense of power than the rockets in, in Doom 2016. I think, but there, I don't know if that's a criticism. I think, I, I, it's just I, I, a, Here's a different thing. I think yeah. it, it feels like, um, it feels more like Quake's rocket launcher, mm. which is like part rocket launcher, part utility item, right? Yeah. Like mm. it's sort of this weird you have mixture of, of rockets as well. Yeah. It's this weird mixture of sort of like artillery piece and pogo stick. Yeah. I always loved Unreal's, uh, kind of eight barreled rocket launcher yeah. that would clank, like crank around and gradually fill up and then you would unleash it in a spiraling blast of rockets. Like, yeah. It's a really good rocket launcher. Damn. I want, I want every great nineties and early noughties shooter to get the same mm. attention to attention to modernization that doom 2016 got yeah. well oh yeah there is that but then they're kind of like uh, so we've had the descent kind of re well it's not really yeah. a reboot what's it called yeah um, overload overload and then forsaken <laughs> i saw that forsaken has been announced as really? a, a re- remake today and forsaken being i own I really like that game on PlayStation for some reason because <laughs> it looked really nice and it was really smooth and fast mm. but but like, I don't know why they're rebooting it. Imagine a modern reboot of Hexen. I was just oh, thinking man. about Hexen. Yeah. I was just thinking about Hexen. Yeah. That could be great. Yeah. Like, all Hexen needs to be is like, it's, it's all in, it's all with very much within Bethesda's wheelhouse, right? Mm. Like, just make, like, yeah. a Doom, but with Elder Scrolls yeah. shit in it. Yeah. Just basically what that, yeah. that's what that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. That would be, fun. I just, just do that, he said. <laughs> Because it did, it did do, you know, did allow you to feel good, sort of flowing combat fun, and stop and start you with kind of, you know, figuring out puzzles and yeah, going yeah. going on quests from here to there. Didn't it, that work? Didn't it? This isn't just my kind of it sort roast of into it. It worked in a sort of like, well, this works on my computer, got, <laughs> so I will play it. Maybe might be that because yeah, I got. Yeah. I remember spending great wads of time lost, lost, and not great knowing wads. where to go. <laughs> Great wads of time, great BSPs of yeah. time. Teen wads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, long time in that game. <laughs> yeah. uh, lost and not knowing where to go next. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's a universal experience of those kinds of games, right? They're like, like, flow is something that was invented in the years between. Yeah. You know, maybe someone will come at me for saying that, but like, um, you know, that's a, like the kind of flow that New Doom achieves, where it's like, there are secrets to find. Old Doom, Old Doom had it. It did. It had it in the right levels. Once you, it pl- once you played it. it. Yeah, but once you played it once, like, you would just rinse. From yeah, it. that's true. Doom. Yeah, you're right. I think, I think with, um, greater 3D complexity and greater attention to ups and downs, yeah. then I think they started to lose it a tiny bit. Yeah. That's, um, Quake had it in places and then didn't have it in other places. And yeah. then, mm. you know, Quake 2 is a bit all over the place. And yeah. Yep. Dude, 2016 is very good and is still amazing. Given that we're so. just resolutely returning to games from 2016. Yeah. I think I'd like to talk about games from 2016 as well. If that's <laughs> right. Um, because I have returned to Battlefield 1 in quite a big way. Oh. Uh, no, is, is that, that didn't come out in 2016, did it? It must have done because oh, last year was God. Battlefront 2. Yeah, mm. my god, my god! It feels new. I, mean, I, I it's, it's it, must, all, it must be. It must. Have I been have Christmas it. And I haven't really played it very much, and it's one of those yeah, things so. like, oh, that's a fairly new game. I really must get around to playing that. Um, mm. it, like, it, like I remember because with the time, you know, I had I had a lot of misgivings about its theme, which I still think is a thing. But I think maybe I, I've, I've chilled out about that a bit now because it's just really f- fucking fun. And I know that it shouldn't, you know, you know, let's, let's pause for a moment to accept that this like it is both fun and atmospheric and and evocative um using the vocabulary of like world war one trench warfare that's a kettle of fish if we accept that video games are often reductive and arcadey and dumb and a kettle of fish then you know we probably move on um but i returned to it because um my friend dan has been playing it a lot and I, i remembered it like i played quite a bit of it when it came out but like you know didn't um stick around and actually going back to it, I'm, I've been really taken with it. Like, and I don't think that's, I think that's partly the benefit of a couple of years of refinements and things, but it's still a fucking mess. <laughs> like, I feel like it is from two bad microtransaction eras ago in that it's pre loot boxes. It has loot boxes, but they're strictly cosmetic and kind of non interruptive, but it also is from the, are battle they? Pass. I thought there are some weapons that you need to get parts for that come out of the loot. It's skins. It's only skins. Um, well, I think, I think you can get like certain melee weapons, but your melee weapon is just a skin. It's just what triggers when you bayonet somebody or whatever. Um, um, so, um, like I don't have the battlefield premium pass and I haven't spent any money on any of the expansions. So there's whole swathes of it. I can't play. That's stupid, but there's still plenty of people playing it. And that was, that was this exact same problem with battlefield four. Yeah. Yep. And Battlefront. Yeah. Yep. And Battlefront uh, 3. <laughs> uh, but it's something they stopped doing in 20... Well, they stopped doing it with Titanfall 2, which came out concurrently with Battlefield 1. Um, but they don't didn't do it, for example, Battlefront 2. Yeah. So it's gone now. And it, by all accounts, it seems like Battlefield 5, the new one, is going to use like a season, uh, Battle Pass system borrowed from Fortnite via Dota 2, but well, borrowed from Dota 2 via Fortnite. So, you know, that's the new thing. And so for all those reasons, it's janky. For some reason, despite being tied into this sort of battle, unified battlefield kind of UI, where you can page between Battlefield 4 and Battlefield 1 and do all this stuff, it's still a, a giant mess. Like, I could not understand. So I've actually got it on PS4. Right. And it said, you know, oh, uh, you can just page across to, to Battlefield 4. And I thought, oh, I've got that. That'd be good if it was just this one unified place. I've got both installations on the hard drive. It will just 
it'll just zip across as if it's all one game, right? Because it's all just loading maps, yeah. right? Yeah. No. No, it has to load the other game. Yeah, it freaks out. It's fucking But, pointless. like, even just joining a game, you're, like, I'm getting through all the bad stuff so that I can get, kind of, like, the sort of unacceptably bad stuff for, for what it is. Like, if you try and join a game with your friends, then um, you don't all join together. It'll say, your friend, a slightly transparent window will pop up over the other transparent windows mm. that'll say, your friend has found a game. Press this key to join. And the key is backspace. And, <laughs> and you have to hold backspace when the window <laughs> appears or you don't get to join with your friend. Then you have to join manually or be invited again. <laughs> exactly. It's such what? a weird decision. It's, it's like, so why, why are you like this battlefield? What are you trying to do? But, um, when you actually get into it, um, there's a lot of things I really like about it. It still has some really duff maps when, when they want to be duff maps. But what I've been enjoying so much about it is, um, like, there's something about the close range of its weaponry, the fact that it encourages, like, um, there's a real um, sense of balance between the long, like the sort of uh, effectiveness versus utility of long range sniping. Like uh, an average player will almost normally be at the bottom half of the table, even as a good sniper, because you just don't get points for doing the really important things like objectives and stuff. Um, really well-designed medic class that has a real sense of like what they're for combat wise and what they're for in other ways. And like, um, I really enjoy the way it kind of, um, and this is, this is something that comes directly from the theme, like the way it transitions from, uh, different ranges of combat. So, um, the whole thing is kind of built around, you know, what, what you what it takes to fight successfully in a trench, what it takes successfully to fight in an open field, what it takes to cross open land. And then as, as you go from the smaller maps to the bigger maps, you also introduce vehicles and tanks and things and, and, and surprisingly bulletproof horses, which is not a lesson that World <laughs> War One really imparted <laughs> upon the world, um, to it. But like all of that stuff, um, scales really nicely. And I really enjoy playing it as like a kind of stealth game where, you know, I want to get to the next enemy position. And that means figuring out a way across the no man's land between my trenches and their trenches as just like a dude with a shotgun. And if you can get on top of them, then, um, you'll probably win but like getting there requires all of this planning and like crossing and because battlefield's always been at its best partly spectacle as well like crawling on your belly across the mud watching like planes crash and kind of like you know explosions light up the underside of barrage balloons and things feels mm. really good and it's also completely dynamic like trying to put yourself in a position to, to capitalize and just nice little bits of design like uh you've got lots of different types of grenade and uh, regular high explosive grenades obviously are good at what they do but if you throw like an incendiary grenade, then you obviously do lots of damage over time, but players can put them out by going prone, um, which obviously you kind of force a decision. But I really like that kind of multiplayer design where it's like doing this will force you to do this and I can follow up with this thing. But like, um, so I tend to run around with the gas grenades, which um, uh, you can press T to put a gas mask on and that makes you immune to gas. So you can do damage to people, but obviously there's an immediate counter to the damage you're doing. But if you are uh, with a gas mask on, you can't use iron sights. So some weapons are really like, so I go in with like a uh, shotgun and, and you don't care about iron sights. You're just shotgunning yeah. people. And that feels like a strategy where, you know, if you're going into a group of people who are medics with um, self-loading rifles or snipers, you know, you'll have the upper hand because they'll have to panic and put the masks on and switch out to a pistol. And all that stuff feels really good. And it's actually made me quite excited for the battlefield, the new one, because like, I sort of forgotten in my cynicism, I guess, about the business model, but also about 
uh, just um, how kind of there there is far too much going on in that game in terms of XP bars and unlock trees and all of that stuff is guff surrounding a, a quite a strong core I think because I yeah. genuinely enjoyed yeah. it and like I think it's still worth being cynical about that stuff and um, it is shite really but like the actual I'd sort of almost forgotten that dice are capable of making a really good shooter which really benefits from that sense of scale yeah like you know joining this offensive to try and take a particular point um, I really like the maps that that kind of uh, as you lose lose rounds you kind of move back mm. over the over yeah. the battlefield and you're you all respawn on a new line and you're waiting for the enemy to catch up and they're just you know they're coming and you're just going to wait for them to kind of reach you it's, yeah it's really nice yeah those, those rush maps are always like they're called rush maps are they yeah yeah, yeah they're called something else about phil one oh, yeah. um it's they're called shock operations now yeah, i think oh okay but yeah we're playing um i love battlefield bad company 2 yeah which kind of lacked some of the scale that yeah a battlefield came to be associated with oh and indeed was in battlefield 2 and stuff that company was like a more focused game but its maps were designed for the modes that were played on them and, and it had some of the best maps I remember being in the series, even though the gun model in that game was crazy. The firing model like was the least accurate in any shooter I think I've played in terms of just spraying yeah. a bullet drop or just crazy bullet behaviour. It was it was chaotic, but in a way that felt you really became invested in the push and pull of a rush map that w- was filtering it down this mountain or up into this forest, you know. It's I think really well, Battlefield journey. One has really crazy bullet as well because they're super old guns. Yeah, no, that's true. Actually, and that's yeah. but I think that really works. I think the thing that really does it for me is the absence of strong mid-range weapons. Hmm. Like everything pushes either slightly closer range than mid-range or slightly further away. Hmm. Like you know, maybe the closest is like you can get like a submachine gun with a scope but it'll fire in whatever the fuck direction it wants. Yeah. And you can get, as so you kind of want to be a bit closer and you can get like a self-loading rifle mm. with like a bolt action rifle. Um, but really you want to be a bit further away with that because up close you'll die really quickly because yeah. you know, no one's got very much health. Like, um, and I re like, I feel like and this is a bit of a, you know, I was gonna say a cod theory. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, um, it feels like in a modern warfare game, the kind of the, the, the the assault rifle um purely in video game terms is such a kind of all-rounder mm. that it changes the dynamic of what that um because i really like any shooter that's kind of about map play mm. fundamentally like and and a good battlefield play comes from like a coordinated offensive that forces your opponent to deal with your team not mm. just you at the range where you're strong and they're not and that feels strategic to me in a way that simply being a faster shot with a, a red dot sight assault yeah. rifle at medium range does. Yeah. And I really like that about it because it means that like you do have some engagements at medium range, but they're a bit of a crapshoot. Like otherwise, you know, you know exactly how far away you want to engage mm-hmm. people and you, you don't want to just chance it because your gun can do everything. And I really, really like that. And I hope, I hope that survives into the world war two one they do next because it should, but like, you know what I mean? Like no M 16s kind of ruin everything. Cause they're just sort of there in the middle. I do, like, I do. Mm-hmm. I do think though the year is especially World War Two, like it's just machinery that seems to be good for games. Yeah, yeah I think that's right. Yeah, it's like how um, you know, sort of uh, Roman sort of archetypes of, of of warfare are just great for total war games, right? Yeah. Like, there's yeah. such a, like there's that feeling of that particular era was almost not balanced, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah. A, like balanceable yeah. by a war game. Yeah, well, it's like again, yeah, the kind of the bolt action rifle is like it's such a fun weapon. Like it's got that risk yeah. reward of you know you get one powerful shot thing. Yeah, you know, really it's good. really nice. 
I mean, I, I loved, um, I briefly played a like, Red Orchestra 2, I think, and that has an amazing, those games have amazing bolt, bolt action rifles, um, which exactly, they train you to cower behind a wall, pop up, wait for that one shot and desperately try and get it. And they're trying to do the same to you. And everyone's basically cowering in like buildings that aren't very far yeah, away yeah. from one another. And it creates an incredibly tense situation in a very small map zone. And and that's what that technology does. Whereas no one's got like a bazooka <laughs> or no one's got like grenades that are especially good. Everyone's only got like a couple of grenades. So you're right, the, the technology curve for small scale map play is definitely a thing when yeah. it comes to the fantasy changing how the game operates like, yeah. yeah modern warfare is almost too good to yeah send a well, I mean, to you, do you get an enormous well, amount of weapons I mean, and they all feel like I'm, I'm you know if you're experienced i'm sure there's huge differences between, sure, between sure. them but to me i mean in video game terms i right? can't the simple truth of it this is, is the, the color of the fucking site yeah. yeah the simple truth obviously none of these games are realistic but yeah. in modern warfare game artificially contracts how yeah. close range yeah, you, modern you, encounters you take have place. no excuse like for a, bolt action a real rifle you know a real modern. sniper does not engage from even 100 meters away like <laughs> right. you know what i mean like yeah, you know, away, yeah. yeah so yeah. and it's already a bit off yeah there's already you're already fully in the cinematic idea of how these things behave rather than anything close to sort of mm. verisimilitude and that's not to say that and that's totally cool one's realistic but it's like but i think it's yeah it's the fact that they don't they can't introduce a really dyna- wide dynamic range of weapons because yeah, that's the, the theme just it. doesn't support them. Yeah, whereas, say for in armour, an uh, assault rifle being different from a sniper rifle being different from a you know a, a short range like it's a vast difference because you have the vast spaces to yeah, actually that's true yeah, that's, yeah, that's the range issues. but it's what you were saying before yeah, about the yeah. map being map being the yeah where it's like because there are big ranges in, in battlefield but like there's a certain range where it's like i can spot a guy on that hill over there but neither of us can do anything about it right because yeah. like mm. you know maybe a one in a million shot makes it but like mm. i'm just not going to stand here firing like i'm going to run and try and get closer and things and that's um that works really well like you know that um that feeling of like, oh, that, you know, you get that thing of like, oh, we know exactly what trench or bunker they're holed up in. Um, but rather than stay with, on this hill I'm behind and try and shoot them, this means I kind of have to figure out how I'm going to get across to them without and get a grenade through the window without getting seen, which is a legit multiple stealth game at that point. And it feels really good to pull that off, like to be behind enemy lines and sort of stay there unspotted and take people out and it feels really good. It's real nice. Um, I also want to give a shout out to the single player, which is all right. Like it's perfectly all right as these things go. Um, but I, I had, didn't realize I hadn't finished it and I jumped back in and the, the Italian campaign, oh, yeah. which is, uh, wonderful because it's, uh, in a, I, I just the fucking big heart emoji for the ambition that went into this. Have you played it? The Italian campaign? I think I know the thing that you're going to, this going to appeal to you. So. You, uh, it starts with a cutscene where an old man is going through his photos of the war, a picture of him and his brother. The old, he was a member of the RDT, like Italian special forces during the war. His daughter comes up the stairs and says, you know, like, Papa, you know, we're ready for you downstairs. It's his birthday or something. I don't know. Um, we're ready for you downstairs. Oh, what's that look you're looking at? Oh, it's a photo from my time in the war. And, and he, and, and suddenly you zoom into the photo, fills your vision. Suddenly you're him, aged 20 in the Alps. And he's like, and it's sort of conducted as like, did I tell you about my final battle with my brother? And she's like, no, tell me. And so the whole thing is narrated by both of them having a conversation in the present, whenever mm-hmm. that is, as you play. 
But implicitly, this is the story about how he put a full suit of plate armor on, picked up a Lewis gun, and killed, like, a thousand Austro-Hungarians. <laughs> and it's yeah. delivered so deadpan. But, like... Wading through. Yeah. He's like this sort of... <laughs> he's like the heavy from Team Fortress. Yeah. And, like, he's just like... But more so. You know, first, we had to take the church. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's got, like, a massive gun. <laughs> there you go. Like, and he's like, I, have, I had the biggest balls in Europe. <laughs> you have no idea how big they were yeah. <laughs> and then um and then he gets and his his brother's fighting in the valley and you take this aa gun that's impeding the italian air force and he says and then i saw an entire wing of bombers and they were coming and if they blow up my brother that, that's bad so i had to fight the entire wing of bar- bombers by myself <laughs> turret section and he's still <laughs> describing this as like a story to his daughter like war is hell my dear <laughs> but sometimes a man just gotta do what he gotta do and kill like an entire air wing and then a bomber plane crashes on him and he rolls away and falls out of his plate armor and wakes up with like a bump on his head like oh that's smart time to kill the rest <laughs> of the army <laughs> yeah the war is it's so good there's a couple of stories like that there's a good one about where you I think you're, you go flying in that one and it ends with a zeppelin oh you stuff. do like yeah. you end up running across a, a flaming zeppelin yeah. Yeah. over the Thames yeah. that's right yeah. and is that like the cockney dude yeah I think he's like a he's a, he's like a roguish type and he you know he's not trusty he's not supposed to be part of the unit but then he does it anyway well because... that's the thing like that story I sort of because that's the one before this one right that one you get the impression that because he's this sort of like card shark yes. gambler yeah. the whole thing could be a lie right, and exactly. that'd be the unreliable narrator sure, sure. whereas if that's the, the conceit then this old Italian bloke is just lying, <laughs> lying through his yeah, teeth yeah. to his children in like a kind of like what did you do in the war granddad yeah, yeah. well he was drinking <laughs> a very good Monte Bolciano <laughs> exactly <laughs> I just um, like uh, we made this joke because um, we were playing a map a really good one of the smaller maps where you got to take like a German submarine pen Actually, I don't even... Is that apocryphal? Um, anachronistic, even? Um, like, um, but um, we were defending it. I was playing as the, the Germans, and uh, the Brits did the thing with their big blimp that makes the most sense, which is to fly it at, like, more or less sea level and orbit the map, just, like, strafing Germans like a drive-by. Amazing. And I basically... We were struggling to take it out because their planes were good at taking out our planes, and this thing was really fucking us up. Yeah. And so I've got a Giphy cat, which I might put in the show notes, of me just sprinting down this pier with, like, an anti-tank grenade, lobbing it overhand at this blimp, and then the entire thing just explodes. Because <laughs> I got lucky and did, like, the last 25 yeah, nice, points of damage nice. to it. But but like I did like when I posted that on our Discord it was like what did you do in the war granddad mm-hmm. like <laughs> this huge like screen filling explosion like well I killed a blimp with my bare hands which are very explosive <laughs> yeah. and therefore really shouldn't sort of absorb the amount of machine gun fire that no, they do probably not no indeed I mean that game that is like where the theming like you know this is the horrors of trench warfare and insane things that happen continually <laughs> yeah, yeah. but the, uh, I think Tom Francis probably talked about it quite a long time contemporaneously mm. about the um the desert levels which are great yeah yeah they're really good oh yeah yeah it's just i mean it is um, um, we talked about this at the time but that no one has chosen really to do that with world war one and that's what makes it almost funny it feels very it's it's accidentally subversive because that <laughs> is that is the war of wilfred owen and siegfried sassoon that is yeah. the war of just it's the like bad war. Good, good, the po- bad war good poetry about a bad thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not the war of like, and this was fucking badass. I wrestled a Zeppelin. And then I punched a man off his horse. And then I got on the horse and horses just absorb bullets. <laughs> you just like ride into the line of fire and no one can do anything about you. And you've got a lance 
and you pick a guy up and keep on riding and he's stuck on the end of the lance and you're like fuck yeah World War One <laughs> <laughs> and that, all that stuff ha- is in the game like, mm. yeah you can be stuck on the end of a lance just dragged away from the trench that you were in it's uh it's real dumb but actually <laughs> coming back to it years later it's like actually it all really works I'm almost annoyed that it works as well as it does because <laughs> it's like yeah actually they're really onto something with this Enough about war, let's do some questions. Okay. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Wes writes, Gravel fit, uh, fuck. <laughs> Just going to take a sip of beer and then going to try that again. Thank you for covering it for me. Uh, graphical fidelity has always seemed to be on, to be the yardstick by which video game quality has generally been measured. Now that we seem to be reaching the plateau on that, what metric do you think the hobby as a whole will be most focused on advancing in? Love the pod. Thank you, Gus. Where's Gus? What the Gus fuck? Was. I'm so sorry. We had a 15 minute break and I'm, Gus, I'm there's gone. No Gus there. I thought it was, um. Wes. Thank I you, Wes. it's been like a movement. Like a lot of the biggest games today aren't particularly graphically kind of focused. Like games generally look good, you know? Mm. And, but like PUBG doesn't look that nice. You know, it's not amazing looking. Mm. Fortnite uh, looks good, but that's mostly because of an art decision rather yep. than rather than technology. Despite it running on very good visual technology like Unreal, but you know, it's a game that is meant to look also good on a phone. You know, so mm. so I think yeah, it's interesting. I, I the the thing that I was thinking about, like of the thing that could replace it, and I'd been confused. I don't know why it hasn't captured any many imaginations yet. Maybe because it hasn't had that one application that that trans you know just gets everybody going is uh, improbables tech. Um, mm. And I think part of this problem is it is really difficult to communicate what it is. Like it's really boring server <laughs> stuff. It's like network bollocks is what it is. Um, but that network bollocks is, allows incredibly large worlds um which are are totally persistent so that you can go into your world and you can do something and leave drop something drop a like i think one of the examples like one of the classic examples of of quite a few of the games are doing that are in development for it uh or with it using it um like you drop a sword and it'll be there on the ground still two weeks later, but it'll look rusted because, mm. because this thing exists as an entity in a world which is continually running and it is simulating that bit of the world, whether there's someone there or not, you know, which is something that currently you can't really do with the, with the general network sort of systems where, which are much more localized. It's about smaller scale worlds and about quite sort of focused use of, of what's being tracked and what's dynamic. Mm. So like the idea of great big worlds in which stuff that you do are, is absolutely consistent. It's definitely something that kind of No Man's Sky kind of trades on as mm. it is now where, you know, you can build that thing and then someone will come to that planet and it'll all be there. You know, it's kind of, you know, that, but, but possible to, to do across shooters and kind of rpgs and strategy games and you know rts's as well as other things you know 2d shooters like there's a slate of different kinds of games being done with it and you know like that's in it's the kind of transformative stuff is the stuff that i remember when world of warcraft was announced like 
the idea of a grand, great big world that you could go across and like do stuff in. And when it transpired to be, you know, instant dungeons, which of course there are very practical well, reasons for, but like the fantasy mm. the, that I had for what this world would be kind of just weren't remotely what the game was. That's interesting because for me, it was like the other way around because really? that fantasy had already been delivered by EverQuest, by Dark Age of Camelot, by EverQuest. Uh, well, I think I was, I was catching up. By I wasn't Star Wars really, Galaxies. Yeah. And then instancing was the innovation. Yeah. It was like, remember the, like those games, but someone else hasn't stolen the dungeon. No, totally. That, that's the, those practical things are very like super yeah, important. Too. Try that. But it's, what I, I'm just talking about like the, the fantasy of it. Actually, of course, yeah. like uh, Ultima Rundle, uh, Ultima Online, obviously mm. was like, it was actually, this yeah. is, in fact, like this is recapturing what, what Ultima Rundle were, like, you know, that, that, mm. that concept of what, which yeah. of course, was a total disaster for yeah, you know exactly but um you know but maybe people have learned how to design around that but like that technology uh is sort of here pretty much and you know is, is running games like worlds adrift which doesn't appear to be me moving too many needles which is like a great big persistent world in which you build airships and have fights and your airship remains there when you're there yeah. whether you're there or not you know it's it's the cool ship I think um, for me, it's like, th- to be optimistic, I think the the plateau now, or the, sorry, the, the, it's related, but the sort of metric of like how advanced something is now is pretty much the kinds of stories you can render from it, not simply be told by it. Um, because thanks to the importance of streaming and YouTube, the ability for someone to come along and make entertainment out of your game is enormously important how successful it is. It's the reason the battle royale is as big as it is, is it's in, it's, it's, uh, as, as recent total disasters in this field have shown, it's not especially spectator friendly in the way that like a MOBA is in terms of esports. Like they've got a long way to go to make battle royale good as a spectator esport, but it's very good as a solo streamer hangout and play generate some stories from this kind of sandbox mm. thing and that accounts for a tremendous amount of excess and obviously that that translates to what it's like to actually play and i think you know what determines what people i don't know if maybe this is quite the right answer because simply because i don't know if the majority of players think of games in those terms but i do think it will be what governs what the next big thing is, it'll be the next thing that comes along and furnishes with yeah. people with a way of telling stories in a game that makes them excited. And games have always had this element, but I think it's like really amplified in, 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 in importance now. Like it accounts for the success of things like Five Nights at Freddy's. Uh, cause I think the cynical way to look at that is simply streamability, like friendliness to, you know, how, how easy is this to whoop at in a way that your viewers will like? But actually, I think, uncynically, it's how much potential is there in this for it to generate kind of, you know, emergent moments of what we'd kind of be really looking for in Immersive Sims a couple of years ago. I think that's just become far more important. And publishers are finally noticing that it's becoming far more important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what partly what I see in the potential and that kind of sort of persistent networky stuff, which is, that is story engine stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think uh, this is obviously games have been trying to do this for ages, but for me, they've only been 
especially successful at it in the last sort of few years is just seamless connectivity with other players and seamless ability to jump into yeah. situations together quickly and get something out of the game quickly. Yeah. And just streamlining that process uh, has been something that Destiny, for example, did incredibly well uh, with its lobby systems and the way that it would use, use you know, leverage PSN's friends network to let you just jump into a lobby, get voice chat going, get into a game, have an experience for an hour and then pull out again. And games have been trying to capture that for so long, but they're getting consistently better at giving you connected, bite-sized bits of entertainment mm. that lets you get in and out with your friends as, as seamlessly and quickly as possible. And that becomes like convenient, a convenient way to play games then, rather than old lobby systems. And you can see why now why like publishers moved away. There's lots of reasons why they moved away from the old Battlefield lobby systems and the old shooter lobbies, uh, because that you you want to create candy right you want to create this situation where you just fall into a thing with your mates and then when you're done you're done and that's it and it, it, yeah that's it's almost like it's just a quality of life thing but that is the thing the game is just going to get better and better at and it's going to be something that the audience increasingly demands of games if it's a hassle to get into an online game in five years time that game's not going to do very well <laughs> I yeah i think people yeah. going to accept, uh, expect that level of Seems yeah, I think particularly like post Fortnite, right? Like, right. I, there should be so many people playing this that I can sniff at the play now button and I'm in a game immediately. Yep. Yep. Like, yeah. Mm. Mm. Next question comes from Kane, who writes, Ahoy hoy. In a For Honor brawl just now, one of my opponents consistently saluted me at the beginning of each round. I saluted back like a proper gentleman until the last round, that is, when I forgot about it and attacked immediately, hitting him in the middle of his salute. He quickly went on the offensive, so I didn't have a chance to apologize until after I'd killed him. He said, good fight, with the quick chat. And then, while standing over his corpse, I said, good fight, sorry. I intended it to be an apology for hitting him in the middle of his salute, but then immediately quit the lobby, perhaps having interpreted it as a mocking sorry, and I felt true shame. There's nothing I can do to absolve myself of this dishonor, except to admit it on a podcast. And I asked, and so, and to ask you folks, what was your most shameful act of undignified behavior in a game? Regards, Kane. Uh, well, most of my shameful acts of undignified behavior have been described on this podcast. And my actual <laughs> answer to this is something I described on the podcast. So I'll dig out and link to the exact thing. But basically, there's nothing it can be other than the moment I panic closed the doors on my extremely expensive star citizen spaceship because another player wanted to get in because he was impressed that i owned it but i only owned it because robert space industries had given me a press pack and it was too big and ostentatious and i didn't want it and i desperately wanted to leave this starport and this man really wanted to get in because he'd never seen the inside of it because it cost a thousand pounds and so i just slowly went up in the lift while looking at him <laughs> and then and then got in and then then crashed it immediately because i didn't know how to take off and that is the most embarrassing thing i have ever done and after <laughs> after we did the podcast about after that came up in the podcast the first time that story like ended up on the <laughs> on the like of star citizen reddit and uh and they weren't kind either <laughs> <laughs> and nor do i deserve it um that's definitely I, I i honestly don't think i can i'll ever be more shamed i think like for me online just feels like this sort of shame Pit like sort of threat, <laughs> constant sort of source of personal horror. I don't really play that much kind of with strangers as a result because yeah. I just feel so, oh, I'm just an idiot. Like, <laughs> I can't do things properly and they're all watching and laughing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Tom. I, yeah, likewise, I often play with friends, and I'm sure I do dumb shit, but nothing particularly mortifying that I can remember, really. Okay, okay. well, good. Hope you feel better, Ken. I think I have done something more embarrassing than accidentally hitting a man mid salute. I am. Um, oh, I, I, uh, I, yesterday I was playing uh, Roblox <laughs> because mm. I'm writing about Roblox, and I was playing a mini game, and presumably with a bunch of very young children. And I wailed on <coughs> somebody who was on the blue team for about three minutes and was kind of, because Roblox is so janky, like I just assumed it was just janky game and janky network that was causing the, like meant that the, the health bar just wasn't going down at all. And it was only at the end of the match I realised that I was on the blue team and I should have been going <laughs> forwards. <laughs> oh, oh, Alex. Good job. Kids Sorry, want- children. <laughs> They're going to get Reaper rushed one day. <laughs> I'll never learn. <laughs> uh, next question comes from Emma, who writes, Hey, CNCers. I'm a newly minted game design enthusiast, meaning I've always been a low-key gamer, but never took it seriously until I did. Uh, I took a course on game design on Unity, which has made me recalculate my life journey. I want to design games now. Yeah, good luck, etc. Uh, in every game or book or movie, actually, the thing that stands out to me the most is world building. If a game world is cohesive and compelling, I'm 80% sold on the whole game. So I figure that's what I want to do when I grow up. My question is, how do I get there? Is there a person in each AAA company that's responsible for world building? How do I make my way into this industry? Thank you for em- from Emma. She said that when you said, uh, yeah, good luck, whatever. That was in the email. Yeah, sorry, Chris. I just realized, yeah. Very, that, very, yeah, very good luck with, yes. I, yeah. <laughs> so just, just so that I have, like, so we've got two questions. We're coming up to the next one that's uh, functionally about shame. And I wanted to establish that that is not something I should be ashamed of. That was in the email. Um, no, this is a good, this is a, a good, well, a, you know, a good direction to have yeah. been chosen that is supported. Yeah. Uh, should be supported. Um, so world building is kind of interesting specifically because it's such a, I think games by their nature, um, particularly big games, are enormously collaborative in that regard. There's one person who kind of actually holds the sort of the keys to it, and that's a creative director. Yeah. Like, and everybody else is just making pieces that don't do or don't chime with that sort of vision holding. But it's also true and not at the same time. Mm. Like, um, like to pull an example out of, yeah, me hat. Like, if you think about something like Dishonored, which is a game where you have a tremendous sense of world building, right? Like, it's a really evocative, you know it immediately, basically just from the music or from any given piece of concept art, that all of those things are completely different disciplines. And yeah, they come together under a pair of creative directors in the case of the first two Dishonored games, mm. um, I believe. And definitely two for the first one, I, I think. Where it's Raph and Harvey. Yeah. Um but like you've also, you, but you know, in that case, you've got like you're factoring in the influence of Victor Antonov and Sebastian Mouton, who both have very different, you know, artistic styles, and and you know all of this stuff. Like mm. I, I'm firmly believe that like the vast majority of like really good acts of world building are, because, are through teams where you have loads of different divergent talents that are just well managed together. So those pieces would be the art of a world. I think that's the sort of the first pieces that sort of really sort of obviously come together. But then there's mm. also, there'll be writers who start in pre-production and start sort of trying to piece together stories that, for instance, that might exist in the world. So for instance, artists will, so the concept artist might start sketching a story mm. or an image and then 
a writer might be asked to then dream, you know, think up a story which, you know, which explains kind of those things. And then art will be based upon that story. Mm. This stuff is never seen in the game. It won't be used, you know, in, in anything a player touches directly, but, but it's, it's kind of fleshing out stuff, that sort of world building. But then mm. obviously there's the kind of the level design bit of it, which is where, you know, it's an, and then level design, <laughs> you've got the actual kind of sort of, spatial design which is kind of moving players from place to place and, de- and defining why they're going from place to place and kind of what's pushing them and what's putting them around mm. but then you have the art side of it which is trying to make kind of those those spaces make sort of some sort of yeah. logical kind of thematic sense so i think it's a really world building is a sort of amorphous like as chris said like it's an amorphous concept like a built of many mm. many pieces and, and that is not intended to be discouraging no. it's more that you um i think i think particularly and obviously you can get to a position um because if your goal is to to make those kinds of big kind of thematic or or, or like conceptual decisions for a triple a game then that is like something that you you work towards and you almost certainly start in a more specific discipline than that so i think step one is to identify are you an artist? Are you a writer? Are you an audio designer? Are you a programmer? Are you a, a gameplay designer or a level designer? Like, because I think probably all of those routes could lead you into a place where you have influence over the kind of overall kind of creative direction of, or something. Oddly enough, like a lot of, um, most great directors come from writing backgrounds or a lot of the yeah. kind of particularly sort of, uh, vision rich ones, uh, especially the ones that come from, well, you know, who, who make games with kind of very mm. distinct worlds. Mm. And I think if that's, you know, writing is probably, you know, um, it's probably the, yeah, I think if, that, if, if, if you're thinking about world building in the sense that I'm thinking about world building, then, then that's a big kind of writing thing. I think, um, uh, obviously we're in, coming at this somewhat from the outside, but, um, obviously as teams get smaller and projects get more indie, basically, uh, roles in necessarily, um, you know, start to smush together. So I, I've been super lucky with Hackmud, for example, someone who's also super interested in world building that, uh, to come into something where, um, being principal world builder for that thing also means being the principal writer also means, um, being, um, the sort of the, the more present puzzle designer for the you know what i mean just to kind of tie everything together and so i would say necessarily maybe don't um well i think step thing one is is make games it's probably the best way yeah, into it that's so what i was gonna say yeah so um to start sorry a different level would be like there's lots of good tools in terms of like rpg maker and and various kinds of like game maker software that's even you know if you turn a unity course then you're talking much easier than that even just starting to make things to, to do world building in that context is probably the best possible way of establishing a voice for yourself and then, um, m- you know, working on whatever size team will have you, honestly. Yeah. I like, I don't know if there's like, it's an interesting one because I can't think of a, uh, someone who does that job in, in, in triple A who, for whom like, that was like a specific role they went directly into, if that makes sense, right? Like, I can't think of like junior, you know, world Bible creator as a role necessarily. Like, you come in through, mm-hmm. you've been writing cutscenes, 
you know, you've been uh, doing supplemental writing, you know, you've been doing um, sort of the, the, the writing pass that happens towards the end of a game's development when the levels are built and you need to explain why there's no door in a particular place with a line of blood, that kind of thing. Like it's, it's very piecemeal, I think. The journey to that position. Yeah. Different yeah. studios value different, like value writing specifically very, very differently from yeah. example to example. So I think like, uh, there are studios where writers are basically fixers. They come in at the end to sort of glue everything together and make, give everything sort of the appearance of cohesion. Um, and from that context, like it's hard to see in that studio how a writer would be able to gain influence over that studio's output really. Whereas other studios heavily value uh, writers mm. so i mean just researching studios you're looking at if you're looking to get into this and, and how they value different types of talent and how how people tend to move through those companies just you know that's worth researching a lot because studios are so so different from one to the next and and it's a sort of like irrational um you could see level designers and writers getting authorship over particular chunks of the game and that's an amazing yeah. kind of crucible for opportunity to develop your design and actually do world building within your section obviously it's still always going to go up to the creative director in the end but that's still a degree of control that you won't get at many studios probably in, and it depends on what type of games they're making uh, but studio culture is enormously important to mm. the, the opportunities you'll find I, I think, think it's also worth stressing that like you know world you know obviously there's if you take world building as sort of the kind of imagination of a new setting or something for a game then that is something that is sometimes going to be, particularly if you talk about AAA, that creative process happens above creative directors even because what kinds of subject matter a game covers, what its theme is, even what its sort of tonal palette is, those decisions have huge business ramifications. Like that's, you know, even people making... um you know, huge AAA games and who are in very senior positions on those teams will still be working as part of a company where there's sign off above you about whether or not you're allowed to make this game about ancient Greece or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. the thought in my head then was like, there are, there's, you know, there's going to be a big team of artists and writers and, and lots of different people doing world building for new Assassin's Creed right now, probably several Assassin's Creed's ahead. And all of them will have been ratified strategically. How bankable is Portugal? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and that's, that is a fact of life. And that is a fact of life of working in every major big money creative industry. So that's something to, just something to think about. Like, you know, um, what it means to you to, you know, I, I really personally have discovered that I really enjoy trying to figure out someone else's story and, and work something into that world or whatever or you know rebuild something or mm. fix fix a story problem which is a you know, specific thing um, but i think if you want total creative control make your own games is the yeah yeah the and, thing and like until until then just make games like yeah that's the i think that's the key like you're never going to know what those kind of disciplines really you know get, have a sense of those disciplines until you throw yourself into making something mm. Hmm. I think we, that was actual advice. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. bad advice though. Yeah. What is the good advice? Just get a job as a creative director. Okay. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. experience. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if you can, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See an opening, take it. Yeah. <laughs> Our final question comes from the lovely Mike Cook. 
um, creator of Angelina, the game creating AI, uh, who writes, Hello, folks. Last week, I told Matt Cox of RPS, the AI research lab, OpenAI, who are working on the clever Dota 2 bots as we speak, would definitely have trouble scaling up their experiments to more than five heroes because it was definitely an enormous task, <laughs> according to me, an AI person. He, which he makes would it sound, definitely know, wouldn't he? Yeah, a, 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 Mike is an expert on AI. Like, like I really, um, very, very. I sat. I, sat I, um, I, I like Mike very much, and I sat down with Mike for about an hour at rest and and basically told him the, the whole plot of Hackmud stuff that the players will maybe never find out, just to make sure it all made sense to an actual AI person, <laughs> and he liked it, and so I felt very reassured because. He's an absolute uh, flaw, like expert in this field. He Flawless. genuinely is. Like, um, uh, and uh, I respect that tremendously. Anyway, to continue his email, two days later, he writes, before the article even went up, OpenAI announced that they expanded their bots to use 18 heroes. <laughs> <laughs> so as journalists, critics, designers, and consultants, what's the most terribly, embarrassingly, obviously wrong you've been about <laughs> a game's thing? Make me feel better, please. Lots of love. Missing you from Germany. Mike. Um, so I don't think, I don't think Mike needs to, you know, worry about apologize. this. Like, you know, um, you, you, you were wrong about the robot wizards. That's not going to matter when the ashes settle. <laughs> Is it? No, it isn't. I'm always crying over spilt milk. Indeed. Um, so let's think about when we've been really, really wrong. So uh, this needs to be something that you're kind of undisputably wrong about because I can think about lots of times that people have told me that I've been wrong on the internet and a lot of times that's made me dig into my bad opinions. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I, I was initially like, oh, I'm not 100% sure about Mass Effect Andromeda. And then, but I think I like it. And then I was like, I like this. And then like a hundred different people told me I was an idiot. And now I love it. Love it. Um, I've got a, like a thousand tiny wrongs which add up into one massive yeah i have struggled with this as well because I, of just a sort of um it's a it's a slow mounting shame yeah like i think i think there's a big difference between like um we are all people who have very rarely been consulted as experts on <laughs> because we're journalists right. <laughs> or like you know or, mm. you know began our careers as journalists at least and so um most of my shame like comes from actually it's exclusively located within the context of interviews uh, as the interviewer. Yeah. Um, mm. and it's every time I have said something really stupid to someone <laughs> who is an expert, um, or more specifically, a really specific thing, um, is when you start talking, you start asking a question and then you, they don't react immediately. <laughs> In a way that says, oh, you've, you've, you and I, we have a rapport and I'm going to give you a great question and you're going to look just like Simon Parkin. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's going to be amazing. And, um, when that, and, and you start talking and they just look at you and sometimes they just look at you because, and you can flatter yourself with like, oh, they're just, they don't know where I'm going with this because it's a curve ball because they've been doing press all day. And I have baffled them with my insight. I've given them a question they, they, but then they haven't heard all day. Then they still don't react. And it's like, I don't think I'm making any sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so you keep talking and then, 
uh, I always think of, I think it's a Bill Bailey line from Space where he just keeps talking and ends on, ends and just like, is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and that's the worst thing. And there's nothing worse than a nice, very wealthy, middle-aged American, um, sort of producer of a mid-sized AAA game studio saying in a very polite way, I'm really sorry, but I don't understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's then, that then the you transcribe worst. it and you have and to then live you trans- it. Yeah. Cause then you hear all the details. You hear stuff like, um, that time that they were about to say something interesting and you pipe, like, <laughs> pipe up with something that occurred to me that, that I thought that might sound, make me sound like, the, the clever or the, <laughs> that might increase the rapport. We're all friends us. here, aren't we? Yeah. And like, you just, so I my, often mutter like while doing transcribing, like you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, um, I can think about, um, uh, I can't, yeah. So recent exa- I can give some stories about this. Um, when I, uh, went to see the filming of star citizens, uh, single player thing. I've talked about this before. I went to Andy Serkis's motion capture studio and spent two days watching them direct, uh, the final days on set for Mark Hamill and John Reese Davis. And this was in a couple of months before the force awakens came out. So it was pretty big for me to just be on set with Mark Hamill for a couple of days and, and interview him. And my, my one-on-one interview with him, I was really pleased with because I just was so nervous, but I just about kept it together. And we put that entire thing up as a video. So it's, it's online, right? Like that, that entire interview, is all up online. And my one-on-one interview with John Reese davis um, was good as well. But we also did this other interview because they wanted to, wanted us to do like a, we, you know, obviously take as much access as you can get. And the form one of the bits of access took was like, uh, it's not a round table, but like just the four of us hanging out. And by the four of us, it was me, Chris Roberts, John Reese davis and Mark Hamill. <laughs> and hanging out. And, and we were filming it in this really underlit, lounge room back of this, the TV studio where it was being filmed, like green room kind of thing, terrible lighting. And because there was really limited angles that we could get a camera on, uh, we had to sit the three of them all crammed onto one sofa and me sat on the, the arm of the sofa, <laughs> like the worst fucking family photo you've ever seen. <laughs> and I was basically like sat on Mark Hamill's shoulder and um, Mark Hamill is, is quite like a lovely man, but um, like, you know, um, would often, and I think because he's a lovely man, would often defer to, to Chris Roberts about things about the game specifically. And I did the thing. I did the interview thing of a slightly overcomplicated question that I didn't really know where it was going directly into like Mark Hamill's left ear, like while hanging there on the thing. And, um, I had to, and he just, he didn't follow it and because he's lovely. He went like, I'm not sure what that means. And just immediately passed it to Chris Roberts who started talking because it's what Chris Roberts does. And, and there's a video of this that we'll never, ever use, ever, where you can see me physically like wobble on the edge of this, <laughs> on the edge of this sofa arm from just sheer shame, like sheer full body. Like I am, I am not like a fucking, like the, you know, the, the easy comfort of the late night TV show interviewer <laughs> puts everyone at ease. No one looks at ease apart from John Reese Davies who's having an amazing time because he's a hundred percent having an amazing time a hundred percent of the time. 
We didn't actually use any of that because I looked so uncomfortable for the entire thing. Because <laughs> the video, it's an unusable video. <laughs> but we did quote some of it. But the best, the best thing was, um, um, I, I said something like, I can't remember what the fuck I was talking about. Um, but something like, you know, um, actually I said to Chris Roberts, the question to him was like, do you ever think you'll make a game that isn't about space? Like not, not a joke. Like, you know, you, this yeah. is a theme you return to constantly. Like, you know, you know, what is it? Why this? Like why? And John Rich Davis just pipes up and says, I think somebody should make a game about the American revolution. <laughs> <laughs> you could play every part of it. You could play King George the third. He basically described Hamilton, <laughs> but like as yeah. a game where every role would be him. <laughs> <laughs> like, Splendid. <laughs> I'd like to play Marquis de Lafayette. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, and, and you could really learn something. <laughs> It was, it was amazing, but um, just honestly, one of the, the just the fucking worst, the worst peaks ever. That's the most professionally ashamed I've ever felt. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad, Tom. <laughs> I think probably the worst interview I did was with Eve's economist, Eve Online's economist at FanFest. I I need to go back and check whether it was actually Yanis Yanis Sorry. Uh, oh, Yanis Varoufakis, the, the, um, no. Valve economist turned no. Greek friend. Oh, he was a Valve. 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 Yes. Yeah. Oh, he's sorry. Him. Yeah. Fuck. Um, but yeah, so Eve online had his own economist. Yeah. And I went in with questions prepared, but an important part of the whole interview process is, is, is the follow up. It's the bit where they say they respond to your question, which might have been good, perhaps, but then you dig a little bit deeper and push them in a direction and see what they say is something interesting. And, uh, so I'd, I'd ask them about, you know, <laughs> controlling the economy <laughs> and Eve Online. What, what do you think about the and, prices uh, of of yeah? Gas? Basically, like saying you know, uh, I, I wanted to kind of pin him down like politically about interference in economies and to what extent uh, the developers should interfere and should yeah. you know, let the free market happen and where that, how that interacts with his, his beliefs specifically about how economies should work. And then he gave me a very very complicated answer. <laughs> and then I was I, uh, <laughs> I sat there for like. 20 seconds and I was like so how do you control money <laughs> or something yeah. some yeah, the magic roundabout theme stupid begins. thing where it's yeah. like I just did not have the the tools uh, to <laughs> question him about detailed economics I have no background in economics whatsoever and ever since then I thought I should I should go back to fucking university and get an economics degree just to solve that moment in my past. But I did, I was just did not have the base knowledge required to understand what he was saying. And, uh, that was awful. Oh, it's bad. It's, it's, it awful. I feel quite a bit healed to have talked about this. It's good. It's, good. um, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, Alex, we shamed ourselves. I just don't, it's just, just like it's a thousand cuts isn't it's, it? yeah it's just a thousand cuts it's like every interview pretty much has me feeling i think the i one of my biggest failings as an interviewer is the fact that i want to be their friend yeah like mostly you know like usually I just you're just a really interesting person i just want you to like me and uh and that's just it's, it's just deathly that kind of because you're not going to be friends mm. you know but when you do have an interview, either is sort of friend, like just when you get on, it's you the best. On. Yeah, I, yeah. This, this, I did an interview this morning with one. That it just, just it was good. It was a good one. I've mm. done interviewed him before, and it was good. Have either of you ever done esports interviews? 
No. Well, it's a different world because you're used to talking to somebody, probably like a peer or a bit older, who's in sort of the same sort of industry where everybody kind of understands why you're there. Yeah. Because ultimately, like cynically or not, you're there to produce content based on a game. Like they would like their game to have content produced based on it. Everyone kind of gets it. Yeah. Um, trade that for the experience of interviewing somebody 10 years younger than you who does not want to talk to you and does not see the value in talking to you. Their sponsor might, this maybe has been set up by the whoever's on their Jersey, but they really don't care. They don't want to be there. They want to be practicing or partying. Those are the two states they're in. And if they're in finally doing interviews, if you're at a tournament and they're doing interviews, that means they've probably just lost because that's the only time people mm. have to do interviews. So <laughs> they're finally allowed to go drink or whatever. And you are directly in oh, the shit. way. <laughs> And you probably don't understand the game anywhere near as well as they do. Yeah. And so there is no, there is no win scenario. You like occasionally you get the good players. Like you learn which players give good interview even after a loss and you just make a beeline for those people hmm. because the rest of it is like you either ask something really straightforward. Like, um, so are you sad that you didn't win? And they go, yeah. And that's that. Or you say, like, do you think you made a mistake picking Jakiro in, in game two of that set in the semi, in the, in the second part of the group stage? And they go, well, you're wrong about everything you just said, like top to bottom. Like you fundamentally don't understand the sec, the single fucking thing about this game. Uh, and then they get quite animated because you're so wrong <laughs> <laughs> that they can then explain something. Uh, but that's not that gratifying. Uh, either to read subsequently as well. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot. That is, I mean, that is worse than most sports, inter- sports, sports interviews. Sports interviews are like, just like yeah. that. But yeah. there's a reason sports interviews are how they are. I right. think where it's just like, well, we're all really proud of how the lads did today. Obviously, we would like to have won, but it, you know, every day's a new, fresh beginning, and we'll come back stronger. That's all you have to say. Yeah. And like, mm. and there's a reason that's all you have to say because it's either this sort of vast swing towards a level of technicality no one wants, or it's just like. Are you happy you done a big win? Yeah. Oh yeah. Occasionally you get the good talkative ones, and occasionally then they're gold dust because you know. And then they learn that. Do you think like, they open up to kind of sort of highly respected, you know, yeah. sort of figures? Like, yeah, absolutely. Sort of like it's of a, yeah, absolutely. Like that's that's one of the reasons that personality is such a big deal in esports is because um, if someone has sort of proven themselves um, within that field, then you can oh, knowledge get, wise, get, they get just the thing. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, my thing was always because I was so much in, more interested in like the sports psychology side of things that like, that was interesting. Cause I got, had, uh, you know, I had a good rapport with players who gave a shit about morale as a concept. And it was really interesting talking to players who don't at all. Cause esports are still young enough that you can have a whole team that runs on the basis that sports, the psychology and the usefulness of sports psychology is a complete, woolly fabrication you don't need it you just need to scream at each other enough and that's really interesting but it like does lead to some really awkward moments because you can be offered an interview with like a star player where you know it will get traffic and traction because it's a big name but where the actual <laughs> you just know it's going to be oh, i gotta do it gotta yeah do it. it's, it's, it's horrid like it, it's it's interesting in a way because it's a little bit closer to like you know you don't have the safety net of knowing they want to be talked to ultimately like it might not be a you know you get in a situation with the game developer where you might not have a rapport or you might not necessarily be on the same page about things but you both yeah you they know why you're there you know why they're there 
yeah we have a we're meeting, what the output is yeah it's not like you've just appeared in their house and they don't know why you're there which is mm. the esports scenario sometimes oh good good to get this stuff off your chest oh, oh, oh I'm just you look good looking fresh thanks yeah I, yeah I feel like we sort of didn't answer the question but we did get some stuff processed <laughs> hey mike mike's mike's yeah, i just hope that i've mike's said scenarios. some things that made me sound like an idiot enough that mike yeah, feels mike better about himself because yeah that's cool because i mean because i haven't really said anything like i'm probably too cautious to say anything They're like because as a journalist you kind of yeah your job is to actually sort of say what other people say or like the right people say. yeah like i've made so i was like, thinking about this because when i was thinking about this question like i've definitely like said i sort of believe this person when they say this game's going to be really good and then two years later it turns out to be crap yeah. that doesn't feel like totally my fault yeah and you, you they probably believe that it was going to be good at that point. yeah 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 so it's it's actually what mike is doing is ex- expressing the the terrors of being an expert mm. which and, with, and a journalist in this case matt cox uh, asking him for stuff when he has to shoulder the burden <laughs> of, of trying to come up with, like, you know, an opinion. And that is the journalist's pleasure, is never to have an opinion. Yeah. And never have to. Well, technically, you really should go out and find out if things are true or not. <laughs> but it's at that point yeah, that but, you Yeah, but, but when all the evidence is kind of Mike, yeah. you know, and people like Mike. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But you can, you could also just have loads and loads of opinions and be wrong about 70% of them <laughs> and gloss over it. It's fine. That's my, that's my strap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess we mostly traffic in opinions. I was going to say, listeners, oh, listeners, listeners of the Crate and Crowbar will already know which of our opinions they think are stupid. Yeah, I mean, hopefully everyone's just sort of forgotten five years of podcasts and all the times we were wrong about lots of things. Yeah. Everyone except Kane. <laughs> yeah, who has, well, who's like three different forms of archive every time <laughs> we've been wrong about everything. Yeah. Good. Um, if you would like to, ask us uh, another question about the most shameful moments in our lives and careers uh you can do so by emailing us at questions at create and you can also tweet us at create and crowbar which is principally your vector for telling us that we're wrong about something mm-hmm. um you can also uh, go on youtube um i sometimes struggle when i'm you know introducing this in the podcast to explain why you would go on youtube but the reason you would go on youtube is obviously that's where you'll find uh videos of our uh, on youtube.com forward slash create crowbar is where you'll find the video versions of all our podcasts uh which to be to stress is just the audio on youtube um but it's also a, 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 a home to comments threads something that we don't have on our website but you want to tell us we're wrong there you go big old big old vacuum for you to hurl that into right there um and uh, uh and uh if you uh think that we were correct about anything you might enjoy a patreon <laughs> <laughs> which you can find at patreon.com forward slash great and crowbar um that's where you go uh in, in order to support the podcast and its spin-offs and uh we are enormously grateful to all our patreon supporters because without them this uh we would not be able to be wrong as often or at scale <laughs> that we can currently manifest it um and if you would like to um follow us as individuals for whatever reason uh you can find me on twitter um, the home of being wrong at twitter.com forward slash C Thurston. That's C T fucking hell. C T H U R S T E N. Alex. I'm at rotational 
R-O-T-A-T-I-O-N-A-L. Nicely done. Thank you. Nicely I've handled. Been practicing to yeah. Move. Looking in the mirror like yeah. taxi driver. I know where you are now. Yeah. Tom? Uh, I'm at PCG Ludo Aludio. Lovely. Thanks, Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.